Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. It all started with an intern. We're still alive. Don't move. Faster. Run faster. Those monsters will bring real trouble. I saw the fear in its eyes. Father Nature has arrived. Say goodnight, Mom Cherry. This, my friend, is your destiny. I've been dreaming about this day for a long, long time. You're wanted men. There is no salvation today. The National Park Service always pays its debts. Hey, guys, what's up? I ran into the goat man. <laughs> ah! Boom! Headshot. You must be him. You must be Kevin. Kevin's Cryptids, the second season. Subscribe now. And welcome to the Doctor Who Podcast. Uh, be sure to support those that support us. Click through on the banners and whatnot. Uh, click through on the Amazon banner. Doesn't cost you a thing, but helps us keep a little win in the sales of the Corolla Pirate Ship. And um, do check out a couple things for me. Um, I am going to be doing some more sort of live Instagram, live TV things on there. So do get on my Instagram site if you wouldn't mind. I'll be answering questions live. It's a pretty cool thing where I bring people up on the screen with me. And uh, over at Dotru.com as well, we did that opiate series to how we got into this opiate mess. I'm going to be putting that out as an audiobook soon and look for a whole series on narcissism in America. But right now, Heather Monahan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So it's a pleasure. So tell me, I, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about. There's Confidence Creator, right? My new book. Tell me about that. So Confidence Creator is my first book that I self-published in response to being fired from corporate America after I had broken the glass ceiling and reached the sea level and thought I made it. And for the first time in my life, after 20 years in corporate America, I was fired. What kind of business was that? I was in the radio business, media, ad sales. I was responsible for over $200 million in revenue. And, uh, Whoop, something happened. What happened? Keep going. $200 million. I was responsible for over $200 million in ad sales and revenue. And uh, I had a huge team of people that reported to me. And things were going great. I won countless awards. And in 2017, I was named one of the most influential women in radio, and I was fired a month after that. <laughs> Perfect. Radio is a nefarious business, especially right now. It's a challenging were, road Were right you now. in one of the businesses that took on all that debt? You know what? Our company, it's a publicly traded company. Uh, listen to me. I still say our. That's yeah, yeah. you know somewhat upsetting. A year later, I still feel that connection like many people do when they get fired. However... You know, that company was uh, doing pretty well, but um, that industry is definitely challenged. We're down to like four companies, right? And I don't know anyone that's not encumbered with literally billions of dollars of debt. 
there's major debt because of the way the business started out. I mean, well, there, the investment was so huge to get in when you had to go back in and buy towers. You know, in the old days where most of these organizations originated, no one knew, no startups getting into radio. They're getting into podcasting. Right. You don't need you don't need a tower. You don't need all that to reach exactly. people anymore. It's IP to IP. But there still is something about mass media. There's something about it, that, that something in the airways. So it'll, it'll always be around. People keep, you know, sounding the death knell. I don't think that's going to happen. But... It's likely to be restructured, and if they're restructuring your debt and a new board comes in, all the C-level people are out. Is that what happened? No, that's not what happened, but that was a good story. Right? I mean, that's that's the way it goes often. Here's the real story is the founder I had worked for for 14 years who constantly elevated me, um, he became ill. And at 80, I believe 87, he promoted his daughter, the CFO, to take over for the company. And as soon as she had charge of the company, she fired me. Mm. I, I, won't, I don't want to hear that. Is that a personal story of trouble? or is... I don't think that's personal. I, I believe that there are women in the workforce and in the world that are confident. And there are women in the world that if you are a threat, you will always be a target to them. And that was more of the situation. That's so bizarre to me, the way women treat each other on that level. It doesn't happen all the time. There are a tremendous amount of – now, today, I'm an entrepreneur. I find women that literally break over backwards to help me and do so much for me for nothing. I, it's amazing to see. But in that one situation, that was someone that I, I believe felt threatened by me. Why else would you treat someone like that? I don't know. But the, again, I, men don't – I guess they do some of that, but not as – specifically that way. Agreed. Yeah, which is awful because you would think, particularly today, women would be interested in empowering each other. It and, does and, not always happen. And, well, it happens. It's the, I, I've always said, you know, before the whole Me Too thing, I, I saw this thing coming. And I was going to college campuses. And I was going, why are you treating each other like crap? Uh, you started at age 12, and that's when that happens. And let's stop. Let's stop doing that and start building on the backs of one another rather than tearing each other down. And I think we're getting there. I think I think that's sort of the the eve, where, and that's what you're all about, right? That's what Boston Heels is about. Well, my belief is that if you can get yourself to a place where you feel good about you and you are your authentic self, then you're not so concerned with what anyone else is doing because you feel safe and good within you. It's when you don't have that fundamental feeling that you begin looking at everything else outside of you as a potential issue or challenge. So Boston Heels, tell me about that. So this happened while I was working for that company. I had reached the C-suite. I was doing very well. And I had my son. I still felt not passionate about what I did every day. I wasn't giving back. And I was on a charity, but I decided I'm going to pull the curtain back. I grew up poor. And to let people know what I didn't know when I was a kid, I felt was really important. So I did that. I created a website, a blog, and a hashtag, Boss and Heels, which is all about owning who you really are. All right. So let's get deeper into that. So you grew up in Worcester. Worcester. Worcester, Mass. And we, have, we have a little diff- – yeah, we're, we're at, on the eve of uh, the World War uh, – World War. Literally. <laughs> which is what this World Series is going to be. And uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a differing opinion about this. Although yes, I'm will. not – I don't hate the Red Sox. I, mean, I lived in Boston for a little while and I, I lived in Massachusetts for four years and I, I – Loved it, um, but I'm Los Angeles Dodger fan since I was a kid. Uh, and in Worcester, which is uh, sort of an old, broken down industrial town. Yes. Uh, originally, I think it was a textile town, wasn't it? Was it one of those? I have no idea, yeah. but it's definitely industrial. And so, what did your parents do? 
So my mom had left my biological father as a single mom with four kids. Oh, my God. And when- Can you imagine that? No. It's just unthinkable. And she didn't have a college education, mm-hmm. and she was a stay-at-home mom. You know, she just tried to make a break from a bad situation to better herself and her kids. What was uh, up with him? Well, you know, all I know is what I've heard, so I really didn't have much knowledge because How she— How old were you at the time? I, when it ended, I was four. Okay. Yeah, you don't remember anything? Not much. I went to a special school, actually, because I dealt with so much anxiety leaving that situation and, you know, feeling the ramifications of the things that had occurred, you know, abuse, um, addiction, etc. Right. So alcoholism, addiction, and domestic violence is sort of the usual deal. And uh, we have a saying that uh, kids that are exposed to that, the the boys become warriors and the women, the girls become warriors. So the women, the men act out, the women act in. So women become worried, they become perfectionistic, they get eating disorders, they cut, blah, 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 and they blame, you know, whatever it is all goes in. And the boys become aggressive and start doing some of the acting out stuff. Girls worry, warriors, boys warriors. And um, it's trauma, ultimately. I mean, that's how, you know, how different systems manage trauma as we're trying to grow up. And you said you, so you developed an anxiety issue and you went to a special school for that? When I was very young, Mm -hmm. in that four-year-old area, because only a few years ago after I had a child did I ask for, I wanted the documentation of what happened back then. I wanted to start learning about my childhood because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that much about it. I just didn't remember it. And so my mom got me all that information. I was reading about it, and it was, wow, it was shocking to hear that I was not, I'm very outgoing and have been, um, you know, for the majority of my life. Well, what we know is the treatment works, and that when you get your hands on kids before the age of eight, you can really change the direction. So good for your mom for doing that. How did she get access to that guy? How did she know to do it? She'd go to college. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I mean, I don't even know how she knew to do it other than I wouldn't leave her side back then. I see. So she figured there's, you're, there was, you were, a, you were there was an issue with me. Yeah. And <laughs> how were you at your first memory? I remember when they were still married. Uh, I, so I must have been three or four remember years the chaos? Old. No. Yeah. I, it, more like a movie scene. Uh, not a good one. No, it was something crazy. I was going to the bathroom on a vent, and I remember getting in a lot of trouble. And it was just like a crazy scenario. But that's that one memory I have of when we were all still together. So you peed on a vent, and you were a little kid, and somebody hit you or something? No, I remember hiding. Out of fear. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm sitting with a doctor right now, and I'm realizing I am. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and it was and so it was, it was like a, a terror uh, scared yeah terror yeah. thing but you don't remember what happened as down the no you were probably under two judging by sort of the behavior and stuff I bet you maybe yeah hmm you don't have any sort of feelings that sort of come up anymore when you think about it oh my gosh I've gone through so much therapy in my life it's hypnosis therapy you know it's unbelievable when I I became pregnant when I was 32 I'm 44 now when I had my son it was the first time in my life I said, how did I end up here right now? And how do I make sure my kid doesn't have to go through the challenges I did? I better start figuring out those answers. And I did this deep dive. At that point, I had wherewithal. I had means. I was successful. I had money. So I could start employing different tactics and strategies the same way I had in business for others to myself. Which is treatment. We call that treatment. <laughs> Well, call, so. <laughs> call it what you may, but I just started saying, hey, how can I figure out what's been happening with me? I don't understand. And 
you don't know as a regular person that's treatment or anything. You just know something's off. And when he was born, I just thought, I don't want him to have to be off as long as I was. I know everyone struggles, but if there is a way to try to figure some things out, I'd like to try to figure that out. What'd you learn? Oh my gosh, that I had a lot of issues. I had a lot of issues. You know, I was type A overachiever my whole entire life. I lived in fear my whole entire life. Reacting in perfectionism and anxiety. and You know, it's so interesting. No, I, when you explained it the way you just did male versus female, mm. I was more than male. So I started I, acting out. I was aggressive. Mm. I was a partier. I was, you know, go for the gold. I wanted every, like, I was really the other way. I don't. No, I don't. I never was much of an introvert. No, no, not introvert. It's an it's a direction in which you act out. You act out. Oh, I didn't hurt myself from starving myself or cutting like myself. No, okay, none no. of that acting out, and no anxiety disorder. I don't think so. You I just mean, said. I had anxiety. I do remember this. I remember at one point in my life, in my twenties, feeling like a piano was sitting on my chest, but yeah. I didn't know what it was, yeah. and I wouldn't ever find out what that meant. Until it wasn't happening anymore when I had my son and I decided I'm going to start going down a different road now and try to figure out what's happening. And I started sharing. You know, what? I used to feel like a piano would sit on my chest. I can remember it that clearly. It wasn't sitting there anymore. However, it was there at one point and I learned that was anxiety. But I didn't know I had that and I, I, I never knew to deal with it. Did you have difficulty like identifying feelings? Probably so. Yeah. And how'd you connect that up? Well, it didn't connect up for a really long time. You know, I I went through, my whole book is about this, about all the challenges I went through in my life. And it's funny, people will say to me, oh my gosh, we look at you now. We can't believe that you went through all of that. The reality is a lot of people go through so much stuff that they're not revealing and sharing with people. You know, unless you're that tightest person in there with them, you're not going to know what's happening. So yeah, I was cheated on. I went to jail. I mean, I went through so many different things in my life. But at the time, that was just life. Life had always been hard, and I didn't know any other way to look at it or think about how am I creating this or how am I responsible for this. None of that occurred. What did you go to jail for? Uh, I was drinking and driving. Uh, are you an alcoholic? No, I'm not an no. alcoholic. Uh, and if the you were saying that people didn't imagine you had these issues you were contending with, isn't that sort of a perfectionistic gloss you put on the outside? I wonder maybe back then, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't challenge that. I definitely wanted to appear different than I really was on the inside. Right. I didn't want people to know who I was inside, that I had flaws, that I was I didn't have all the answers. Yeah. I, what I, was the, what was the fear if you were seen as not perfect? Because I was ashamed of who mm. I really was. Oof. That was painful. Yeah, shame is yeah. very painful. V- a very destructive emotion. How'd you get through the shame? And and by my 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 sort of follow on question that you can answer if you want is does Boston Heels or Confidence Creator deal with shame? Yeah, of course. Because if I I didn't want to put that in and I had to make myself do it, otherwise it's not real. You know, shame is really hard because it makes you deal with those things that you've never shared with anybody, which is super scary. I have to think everyone feels that way at some point in their life. You know, I don't know what everyone's shame is. I have no idea. For me, it started with being poor, mm. and I didn't want people to know I was poor. And my mom would come to school, and the muffler was off the car, and I could hear the car coming. And that moment, I can remember that. That was fourth grade. Was, was there embarrassment and shame, or was it just straight-up shame? 
probably embarrassment and shame because kids would make fun of you. And that felt bad. And I didn't want to feel bad all the time. Plus, you had all that trauma earlier, so it's like it's like you couldn't compounding yeah, on itself. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. And then and, and Shane, you know, go ahead. I'll, I'll never forget when one of those windows that same year, I was walking home from school, and a little boy punched me in the face. I'll never forget fourth grade, and I had so many kids that were around, and they were laughing. Of course, kids can be really hard on other kids, and I just ran. I didn't run to go get help. I ran to leave the situation and go home and tell no one. And I never told anybody about that. And that was one of those moments in my life when I look back that was kind of pivotal about I decided for a window of time I would just keep my problems to myself and I didn't want anyone else to know because I was ashamed. Who who would you have told back then anyway? Was there? Well, I mean, I should have told my mother. I should have asked for help. I should have said something to someone. Was she available for that kind of thing? I mean, she was. You know, she worked a lot. Yeah, Yeah. she was super overwhelmed. She had to protect her too. Oh, I don't even. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. You just said that, but I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And there were three other kids. How old were they? How much older? I had an older sister. I have an older sister, a year and a half older. And I have two brothers, both, you know, a year and a half uh, and two years younger. And and she was dealing with all that. How, sure. Were they starting to misbehave at that point too? Oh yeah, I mean our house was wild back then. Wild. Ugh. Did they mistreat you, the siblings? No, no. I mean, I probably mistreated them all. I used to create songs for my little brothers to say, "Heather, she saved every one of us," and they would be my little minions, my little brothers, and then we would fight against my sister. I mean, we had these crazy environments that would go on at home, you know, based upon who you were. My sister was a smart one. She got perfect grades and everyone had to leave her alone, you know, for schoolwork or this or that. And Heather was the athlete the and fighter. the this one and you know everyone paid attention to her cuz she did this. The boys were you know everyone had their own role you sure. you were supposed to play. I mean that's the way families work, right? There's uh, in and you, you, technically, you're an alcoholic family, right? Because dad was in whatever he was, and um, and there's a there's a you know there's the heroes, there's the perfectionist, there's you know the scapegoat. There's all these different roles that are specific in alcoholic families. Who's the scapegoat? I wonder who the scapegoat was. I don't know. Somebody. That's not clear to me though. Right now, when you ask the question, like nothing pops. Everybody doing okay? Everybody good now? I mean, listen, life is not perfect, right? You know, I'm the only child. That's divorced. I will tell you that. I everyone has families and children, and you know they're doing fine. However, in some regard, I feel like I'm really starting to morph into the person I was meant to be. But it's happened so late in life for me. Do I have that answer for my siblings? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know because people come to that realization when they want to, or they don't ever. I don't. You know, I have no idea. Right. right. So, so part of sort of being who you really are is what you're talking about. Right. Is sort of consolidating all the different parts of yourself and using it. And oftentimes it's expressed in a career path that uses all the different parts of you, right? Does that make sense? Yes. And it feels like that's what you're doing here with your current project. Is that accurate? A hundred percent. Yeah. And so t- tell me more about it. Tell me what, what, what it is about you that you've got to offer for, I assume it's other younger women you want to? You know, I started out that way. So a few years ago when I was still at the publicly traded company in that corporate America job, I someone said to me, what are you really passionate? What are you doing? Pick your head up. Like stop just doing what you do day to day. And no one had ever said that to me. I never had that thought. I want people to have that thought. 
pick your head up and think about who do you really want to be? What is important to you? What is your passion? Because I got on that track for a long time of uh, this is my job and I'm making money and I'm responsible. So I did that. And when I did that, I thought everyone should know what I know which is any flipping person can get to the C-suite. Any person can get wherever they want. If they work hard enough. If you learn the tips and tricks how to play the game, it's beyond, yeah, work hard. We all have our own superpowers. So, you know, you could work hard at one job and you might not get there. But learn what – there's different tactics and elements that go into it, especially with corporate America. And so many people don't know about those things. So I thought pull the curtain back and show what it is. And I launched my personal website. I launched my hashtag Boston Heels. So that's the tactics for getting through corporate America. I, I'm guessing that it evolves into life. It's bigger than that. I, okay, because uh, I'm guessing your your bigger passion is more about helping people find their passion. That's a that's a big part of it. It's not exclusive to that, but it's also about really owning who you are in life, not just with your work, but who you truly are. <laughs> Like this show, you're going to love Just Between Us with Bailey Madison and Caitlin Villa Suso. On Podcast One, even with a 13-year gap between them, these sisters and actresses navigate the ups and downs of living together as they share their personal stories and candid conversations with some of their friends from the entertainment industry. Check out Just Between Us every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Well, if you're looking to buy a car, you are familiar with lots of different terminology that you don't understand, and neither do I. Dealer price, list price, I, I, I don't care to know, frankly. I want to know the price, the true price, and we are announcing, of course, true price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you're going to pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you ever get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on car on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And you know True Price is a great price because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. You see that scattergun, you look at it, you see what a fair price is, and the certified dealers know that you're watching, so they set the True Price competitively so they can win your business, and you feel good because you're locking in a fair price for a vehicle that is on the True Car certified dealers lot. It's an actual vehicle there, and um, it's a True Price. It includes fees and accessories and everything. So whether when you're ready to buy new or used. Don't forget, they have used cars as well. Go to visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buy experience. Some features not available in all states. Well, Hydrolite, I just dealt with a patient this morning where I was explaining to her that she needed to not just drink water. She needed something with what we call solute in it. You know, I think people understand that sports drinks give you that. But Hydrolite gives you a ton more. And I was explaining to this patient that it's like taking an IV. And I'm going to have to use an IV if you don't take enough Hydrolite. And you know, I, we love this product. My family uses this product. Everyone I know who I've recommended it to has had a positive experience with rehydration, even if they drank too much or had a GI problem or were sick, or just they were overheated, uh, or it, just anything for maintaining hydration. I am still using it on a regular basis, and so is my family. It is the best oral rehydration product I have ever tried. It's the one I conceived of, and then they arrived, and well, now I'm behind them. It has four times the electrolytes and 75% less sugar than most sports drinks. It's appropriate for all ages, and each package includes easy-to-follow instructions for dosing. comes with great flavors, orange berry lemonade. It's available in a pre-mixed powder or, my personal preference, the effervescent tablets. Simply drop in a glass of water or a bottle of water. Literally, don't leave home without these. You can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or at hydrolite.com slash Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W. For a limited time with our listeners, 30% off Hydrolyte. Just click the banner at drdrew.com. Use the code at checkout, drdrew18. It is hydrolite.com slash Dr. Drew, code 
Dr. Drew18, D-R-D-R-W-18. So you can either go to my website, use the code Dr. Drew18 at checkout, or go to the Hydrolyte website, slash Dr. Drew, and then use the code Dr. Drew18 at checkout. Give me a, a sort of a primer. How, how do I, without treatment, because I know how to do that with treatment, but how do you how do you advise people to do that? And, and presuming, let's even presume you're talking to people for the most part who don't need treatment, but they do need to find themselves, which right. is millennials these days. I'm imagining millennials would drive a good deal from this. So there's a few different ways. One way that I found really helpful, I sent out, I, I, w- I won an award. It was called, I don't even know what, um, but <laughs> so, it was about unique value proposition. What's special about you? And I couldn't answer the question. Imagine that. I didn't know myself well enough to answer that question. So what I did, and I encourage anyone who feels like this, if you don't know who you really are, what's special about you, send out an email to 10 people in your life, work, social, personal, whatever, and just ask this, what do you see as unique and different with me? What is that value that I add? Would you Would you also advise people, because I've been telling my kids this lately, and you tell me if this is a bad idea or a good idea, to... to that I totally 100% agree with that move, but also ask for input from people that aren't sort of the people you would necessarily always hang out with sure. and, and ask how they perceive you. Right, to see how that differs from the people who are close to you. A different pair of glasses, you know what I mean? See, yeah. see. Well, that's interesting for the people who might <laughs> act differently around those they feel safe with yeah. versus those they're pretending in front of. Yeah, or you yeah. Just, you'll learn stuff about yourself. Sure. And I think people are afraid. That part is always the frightening part, I think, for people. I mean, obviously, they're, they feel... I know it's weird to put out an email. They like, tell me what you what you see special about me. Or it's whatever. weird because it's different, but yeah. you know what? When you do it, it's a, an amazing experience. I agree. And I'm sure people are happy to do it, but it feels weird to do it. Sure. But I'm sure people are happy to do it. But the the scarier part is go out to the people that you don't really know that well and go, "Can you? How do you experience me?" But you know what's funny? Sometimes exposing who you really are to the people closest to you is tremendously harder. Yeah, and you kind of won't do it. Well, that's what I did with my book, and and those were the really hard moments. Was sharing it with my family first. Give me an example. So, my book is a compilation of my lowest moments in my life and how I learned to build confidence from them. Sharing that with my family first, I anticipated a hundred percent support. I don't know why I anticipated that. Okay, let's just be honest here. You you, you expected. It. I expected it. Okay. For anything you had to tell them. For the book, I just felt oh, so oh, proud of it, and I, I thought they were gonna be behind me rallying behind me because this is a really courageous move i knew when it went out to the u.s this thing is going to get haters left and right i'm familiar with that i've been in business a long time i get haters so i was ready for that i shared it with my most inner circle in my life and you know i found people not supportive in that bracket i had bet on and what were they taking issue with Oh, so many things, you know, my mom went dark on me for a couple of days and it was really hard because when you're scared, when you try something new, right, I've been in one business for 20 years and I'm starting over as a rookie. How do I know I can go from being a successful executive to being a good writer? You don't know, mm-hmm. right? So in that moment, I don't know. I'm scared. So I'm taking a chance and I, I took a chance on something. I'm petrified and I shared it and my mom didn't return my calls for a couple of days. So I knew something's wrong. And when I eventually, my father was the um, intermediary for the two of us. Is he sober now? No, no. The, so my mother got remarried. Ah, your biological father, where's he? He's dead. Alcoholism? Drug addiction? 
We don't really know because we didn't keep up with him. My mom left him and ultimately she got full custody. My father adopted us. So Okay, so he's in, and he's and they're still married? And they're still married, yeah. yes. So he helped you. Yes. Yeah, so he was the go-between for my mom and I on the phone and he would hold the phone and say, Heather, I know you're upset, but what do you want me to say to your mom? Because she's standing and I'd say, can you please tell her this isn't about her? Does she think it's about her? But what's interesting is, and these were the things I didn't think about. We always think about ourselves, right? And I was thinking about me and I'm so proud of me. And this is like such a bold moment for me to own me. What I didn't think about is how could the stories I share affect other people. I didn't really think that much about it because the book isn't about them, right? There's 43 chapters around so many different people and my experiences. So, so there are kind of two general ways of experiencing yourself. And, and one is you experience yourself first outwardly through other people, like other people's emotions and feelings are how you then experience yourself versus you experience inward yourself first and then how other people react is sort of a secondary issue. And uh, like somebody like me, I'm pathologically involved with other people. And I'd be worried that every word I put out would be affecting other people. I'd be just totally preoccupied with that. Because I would know that if I talked about my experiences that reflected poorly on, you know, I, I had pain in childhood that my parents didn't identify, I know that would hurt them. Not only that they would claim responsibility for it, but it would just be hurtful to have to realize that, oh, geez, I didn't, I didn't pick that up when she was suffering. Or I wish I'd done, you know, you, you, a million ways you get hurt when your kids tell their story, right? A million ways. Think about your son. How old's your son now? 11. Imagine if he had you know, becomes 20, 28 and writes a book. And at 11, my mom was busy with her book and checked out and fighting with her mom. And, and she didn't realize that I was just reaching puberty and she wasn't paying attention to that. And I was You're freaking out and weird. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that, that's the way it works. That's, it's being a parent. Uh, so when he writes that book or whatever, you're going to have feelings about it. It's, it's normal. You say, listen, my daughter busts my balls all the time. <laughs> She's a writer, and she and it's like, oh, I have to read. I read every page, like, oh. But but in I, some ways, aren't you so proud that she can yeah, own her absolutely. voice? Absol- you know, to absol- share 100%. her. percent. It's a mix. It's her it's perspective, mixed right? Like, it's, it's well, and then her brothers brothers react because no, they, yeah, everyone they reacts. Feel, everyone feel, reacts. They feel invalidated because they didn't experience the same thing. And how do you know that's really what happened? Right. And then everyone you, has a perspective, which is. But this is a learning for you. Yeah, this so that's been really interesting. But ultimately, she did come around. And I'll tell you, my mother, moms and daughters have weird relationships. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know this better than me, right? So, but I'm like just a regular person <laughs> noticing the world now. And I'll tell you, my mom and I always had kind of a, you know, an estranged relationship for whatever reason of whatever it was. This thing has brought us closer together than we've ever been. Right. She decided to hop on a plane a few days after she got her head around it and realized it wasn't about her. And she decided to say, I want to come be there for you and support you. And her and my father came and they said, we're all in. And it was a really powerful moment for our relationship. So sometimes doing the scary thing, writing the book, putting yourself out there, taking the chance. Of course. Really pays off. Well, of course. And, and as a parent of a writer, I, I when you say you're all in, you're just like going, "Do what you got to do. I'm willing to take whatever the consequences are. I'll just right. I'll roll with it," as opposed to get honkering down on my own defensive strategies. Mother daughter stuff is just profound. It's hard. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm yeah. so glad I have a son. Yeah, it's 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 easier than it isn't. So why are you, are you gonna, why is it not? Uh, 
the usually the daughters come around in a way, just like you're experiencing yourself now, that the boys don't come around. They're easier sort of right around now, but then they kind of they can present all kinds of other problems. I'm that, getting that they, anxiety again. What's right. going on? This is not good. <laughs> well, I don't like this. I don't know your son. It would probably work out I great. I love my son. Yeah, I want him to always be so close to me. And where do you live now? I live in Miami. Miami. Yeah. Uh, and that's so funny. Uh, how'd you end up down in Miami? That's interesting. Work. Was I mean, my whole life has been driven off there. work. Yeah. Got it. So so I'm I'm going back to this book and what people can learn about it. So t- tell me more. I mean, what I, I'm, a, I'm still not getting a clear picture, uh, and I want you to be able to communicate that so people want to know, you know, reason to go get it. So I'm a woman. I'm struggling with figuring out my passion. Do you give people sort of exercises or insights? Or No, I don't do exercises. Stories? Here's the bottom line. In any business, you need to have a unique perspective on something to differentiate yourself. Mm. I thought about confidence, self-help, blah, blah, blah. And people are preaching at everyone. They're giving research as to why this works. And I thought, you know what's different? We live in a fake news, fake world, fake filter society. Mm -hmm. If I rip that off and show real, holy cow, that's really unique and powerful. And that's what I did. So you're talking about the... uh the, all the, that, the uh, motivational stuff. God, that's all such bullshit. It's such bullshit. Okay, not so much <gasps> motivational stuff. It's more about I just give each chapter is one unique story of my life that's a real story. Like a, not a pretty story, right? I have lots of pretty stories. You want to see them? Go on LinkedIn. You can see my awards. You can see me on USA Today, blah, blah here and there. If you want to hear about my low moments, buy my book. And read how I took each low moment and learned something from it that I could apply to my life to move me forward. They they weren't easy, just like you. They, everyone has challenges. You have your daughter writing the book and you had to like figure out how can I handle this. We all have our challenges. No one gets through this world easily. It's about how you respond to challenges. And I've learned through the past however many years I can create confidence and create a better me through my challenging situations, and I I share those stories with the world. What do you mean by confidence? So confidence to me is owning who I am. That's the bottom line. Being present in your skin, connected to your feelings, knowing how you're perceived by other people. You think so differently than me. It's like really hard for me to try to um, think like you right now. Regulate Um, your emotions. No, I don't think about regulate. I don't even know what that means. That's like being okay in your own skin. Okay, to me, it's about if I want to wear freaking ripped jeans and I'm going to an event, I put them on even though my whole life, let me tell you, Dr. Drew, I was told never show up to an event where you're being paid to do something, not in a blue pantsuit, not with your hair this way. Don't laugh the way that you do. No one likes it. Stop doing that. Don't speak so loud. When you're loud, it's embarrassing for everyone else. For me, it's about being you. All right, so where did all that stuff come from, all that, all that direction? I guess I put myself in situations throughout my career that really amplified that. It, it sounds like that might have been a way to compensate for the shame. If you, for if sure, you, yeah. for sure. So if you adopted all these strategies, they're called sort of superego strategies of people, you know, of what, what the, the shoulds, then people aren't going to see my shame. I, w- I would agree with that. And did you were you did you ever try the shame must have come down quite a bit right with your, launching the book? Well, somehow your shame came way down. 
right? And that's what I want to get at, exactly. Along how, the way, you're yeah, saying? Right. Yeah, along the way, but I wasn't realizing it happening along the way, but did, yes. Did it, get, did it get exacerbated when you released the book? I was petrified. Uh, I, I went fear. under a weighted blanket for like two days. <laughs> I was petrified. Of what? Of being seen, huh? I was so scared. Of being well, seen. then I also, I hadn't anticipated, you know, you like to, I like to anticipate things happening, and I had anticipated this great reception from my family, and then right, right, right. It, so there were some roadblocks along the way, yeah, yeah. like of course with anything, but yeah, it set me back, it so, set me reeling. So would it be accurate to say being seen was scary? Being are seen you, for who you are. I mean, okay, would you like to be seen naked on your fattest day? You're not a woman, so you don't understand PMS. Well, you understand it, but you don't have it, it on your fattest day when you're having a breakout and have the paparazzi come in and photograph you. Heck no, it's hard. That's it's what it felt. Ballsy. Like. That's what it felt like. Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. If you were going to, and I know you've written books, but if you were going to write a book about your freaking worst moments ever, that's what it is. It's. It's scary. And, and well, because certain people's personality are constructed in such a way that, that shame is especially harder. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. For sure. Yeah. I agree. And, and at its core, when shame is an issue, it's being seen, fully seen, right? You're, as it's really you, scary. You, call, you called it naked, right? Yes. And that's, that's what it feels it's like. Scary. It's being naked. Yes. And, and they're going to see all this shameful stuff. But, but, you know, like just to, for people out there, give them an example, um, you know, in recovery, we, I dare say, make people <laughs> take a look at all their stuff and then tell Hard. another person about it, Scary. right? And and they're encouraged to tell the most shameful stuff. I mean, we, when you're an addict alcoholic, you do just horrible shit when you're in your disease. And they, they sort of want to disavow it and pretend, well, I was loaded. It wasn't me. But guess what? You got to own it. It's yours. And this feels like you did that on a sort of a public scale. Yeah. Yeah. And usually after that, when how long ago was that? May 22nd it dropped. So it just happened. Yeah. Uh, usually after that, shame is much more manageable. Oh, my gosh. Okay. It's nothing. Okay. It is like nothing like now. Like it goes away. Yeah. And usually- Truly. We, right. It's crazy. Yeah. Which I want people to know that too. The minute you start owning it, my God, you're going to feel so much better. That's right. So this is a great lesson, which is that if you feel shame or guilt too is another yes. thing that gets away with-, with, with This is why confessions are so effective. If you, and if you open who you really are and let people see you and guess what the But role, I feel like that's religious, so I don't no, want no, no, it to no, just no. be religious. I, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm just pulling that out as an example. But you really let yourself be seen. Yes. When you're fully seen and you don't get destroyed. There's nothing to be, afraid nothing of to be afraid. Exactly. Yeah. What, now what are you carrying around? Because you've already been seen. All it's right. out there. Right. The, but the other thing that tends to happen, you tell me if this is accurate, you tend to see other people a little more clearly too. And Completely. Yeah. Yeah. The more you get real with yourself, the more you can get real with everything around you. And that is game changing. Right. And, and then you can really see the real things in other people and pay attention to it, pay homage to it, be of service to it. Have empathy. Have, which is the, which is what, really powerful. Correct. Which is what that is. And that, that's yeah. where empathy comes from. So talk about that for a minute. Tell me about that. And do you, do you discuss it in your book? Because I think that's such an important thing. You know, it's interesting. I didn't talk about empathy in my book. And so it's really powerful. You just blog brought it, that up. Blog it at Boston Heels. Yeah, I'm going to have yeah. to. I'll transcribe this and yeah. put it in the next book. But, you know, I, I didn't talk about that. I didn't really think about it. However, it, it's kind of the next layer. It's that next step, yes, right? Yes, the next step is, is being of service to other people. But the only way you can really be of service to people it, it, it helps creates meaning and sort of nourishment and stuff. But if you, you have to really see people to be of service to them, you can't. But you, you can't. have to see you first. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. You don't get. You can't connect leapfrog to other, that. To self. And connect there are other, a lot of people, self. by the way, that try to leapfrog that step, 
and just get to service Correct. without actually, and I've Correct. seen that many times. There's, and you know what? I've been that. I, I'll, I'll own that right now. I've been that. I've seen that a lot where people like, they make a ton of money and they're like, well, now I got to go make a I'm gonna difference. Go, I'm going to go, gonna go do, do this. But it's not, it's like force and it's not real and it's not from a, a genuine place. So that's really powerful. The minute you own yourself, you can actually start seeing others and then you can start connecting with them in a very real way where you can share your story and say, hey, I've been there. I've been on food stamps. I have felt like embarrassed that you know I am poor and that I am who I am and it felt horrible and I know what that feels like, but I also know it's not going to have to stay that way and, and I want to share my story with you because sometimes it's just sharing the story that can help somebody else start 100%. seeing themselves. Correct. And, and so how's the response been? What are you oh getting? My, are you getting it feedback is and stuff? overwhelming. It's a weirdest thing. I weird is the, when you've been in corporate America your whole career and then you do something like this, it's weird. I cry all the time. You know, my poor son who's 11 is like, why are you crying today? I'm like, listen to this. No, mommy got on LinkedIn. It's a DM. And my son will say, okay, mom, that's great. You know, congrats. <laughs> but it's really meaningful. And for so long when you do something that doesn't feel really meaningful, that feels empty almost, right? Like making money for the man or for the shareholders. And now I'm, I'm working on something for me, but not only just for me, for the greater good. It is so cool and the support and the opportunities. In corporate America, things never just showed up for me. Mm. These days, things show up. Opportunities. It is mind-blowing to me. When you really start to pursue your passion, own who you are and step into that power, you will never be as powerful as you could have been. My whole career, I've always spoken and I'm a great speaker, blah, blah, whatever. I look back on tape now at me 10 years ago. I was horrible. But the difference is now I dress like who I am. I step into who I am. I talk about what I want to talk about. Were you horrible or just don't like what? Oh, I'm saying like for me, you know, I'm my my toughest critic. Other people thought I was fine. Right. You don't like it. But when I look at the tape, but you know what? I I started doing this too. My son's on YouTube and I stalk him on YouTube. So one night he went to bed because you have to know what they're doing in their room. You know, I want to know. So I put him to bed and I'm on the YouTube seeing what he was watching. Fortnite, of course. But then it starts (laughs) serving me. Eddie Murphy YouTubes. I don't know why. He likes humor too. So yeah. maybe he was watching something funny. And it was the first time Eddie Murphy was ever on David Letterman. And he looked like a nerd and he was sweating. And I started relating to that. Like what we're all going through is a progression because I watched him 10 different shows along over however countless years. I don't know how many years. They kept feeding me the episodes. And I watched him evolve into someone who's so insanely confident. I don't even know if he knew David Letterman was there anymore. It was his show. But it's all about this. And that's what I remind myself. It's about progress, right? We didn't – I started in this whole entrepreneur world a rookie a year ago. And so I have to keep reminding myself, so did Eddie Murphy. You know, so did Dr. Drew at some point, right? Like where – whoever you are. And we so want to say, no, but that person's on the hilltop and killing it. No, BS, they're not. Right. But in the world we live in, it's easy to do that. And a lot of them haven't done the work that you've done. So they're up there. That's feeling, what's so crazy. Well, think about that. They're up there feeling shame and fearful. And if they, they, their fear of being seen. I didn't seen. think about that. You know, this is something I have to deal with all the time with these folks, which is that they're, they're who we see them to be versus how they feel about themselves is a big Disconnect. difference. Yeah. yeah. And they're fearful of being seen. 
because they have wow. a lot of shame and guilt. And so imagine that's being hard. seen all by everybody, but not wanting to be seen. Now I feel bad for them right now. I'm sitting here and I Good. actually feel bad that's for them because that's, that's actually kind of bummer. That's and I bummer. wasn't feeling like that before. I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> these people are killing it. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> well, some of them you should be jealous of, but some are feeling a disconnect. <laughs> Well, TheraWorks, of course, is the product I've been hyping for a while now because, look, it you don't understand. When people have these horrible muscle cramps, uh, they are desperate for relief. And uh, over the course of my career, I was muscled by patients into using medication I didn't want to use because they were dangerous and after all those muscle cramps. But the patients were so desperate, they couldn't sleep, they couldn't do their daily activities, they couldn't exercise. Well, now with TheraWorks Relief, a non-greased form foam that is clinically proven to relieve muscle cramps fast and reduce muscle soreness, You've got a solution. And with daily use, twice daily use, TheraWorks Relief can prevent muscle cramps before they start. It only takes a minute to apply it. absorbs quickly. really works. People I give it to just love it. I recommend TheraWorks Relief to family, friends, patients, and the results speak for themselves. People tend to give it to the people they know, too. They're so excited about it. TheraWorks Relief is my choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps. Make it yours, too. Get TheraWorks Relief in the pain relief aisle at Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Or by talking to your pharmacist, learn more at theraworksrelief.com. That is T-H-E-R-A-W-O-R-X, Theraworks Relief, for your muscle cramps. Zoom, love these guys, zoom.us. Video conferencing has changed everything. And, uh, you know, we've been trying all kinds of things over the years. And I know what you would always had things I wasn't getting out of the products or they didn't quite do what I wanted. Well, in 2018, Zoom is the winner. It's just a click of a mouse. Zoom delivers flawless video, pin drop clear audio, instant sharing across any device that is desktop, laptop, tablet, mobile, whatever it is, phone, you name it. It's HD video. It is simply striking. I've done not just the video, but I've done phone calls and conferences without the video, but with the video. I mean, it can do everything. You can share anything with anyone from any device, a Word file, a spreadsheet, a presentation deck, a YouTube video, a photo from your phone. Zoom is everything you always wanted in video communication. They've done it. This is it. And amazing features you didn't even think of, but you wonder why you didn't. You can set up a great – all kinds of stuff. Look, I, if you've never used Zoom for video conferencing or even for phone conferencing, what are you doing? Go to zoom.us. If you're using it, you already know what I'm talking about. It's zoom.us. You can set up a free account today. Meet happy with Zoom video communication. Set up your free account today at zoom.us. But give me a minute on emptiness. You meant you used the word empty, that you felt empty. Yeah. So earlier in my life, I remember it specifically before I had my son. I got to a point you can make. You know, I made a lot, a lot of money. I was an equity partner in a group. We bought the company for $27 million. I turned it into a $55 million property within under three years, and I was a partner. So I made a lot of money at 24 years old. And people will think, oh, my gosh, she's so lucky. It's amazing. Her life must have been great. My life was super hollow. I had so many friends. Ooh, that's an interesting word. That's what it felt like yeah. in, inside to it's me. It's more than right? empty. It feels, it feels more impoverished than empty even. Well, probably like relating back to my whole scarcity thing I already had going on. Everything I did was around fear and and driven around chasing this one thing, money. And then if you get it, then what happens? It still didn't feel good. So then that's you wanna, when the emptiness kicked in, right? Yeah, it yeah. really became so it was clear. Really interesting. It was powerful, and I had all this money and nothing to do and no one to share it with. And it was um, that was a a hard time for me. That was a I I didn't have my child. I I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I, um, 
I went through a tough time then. Were you feeling filling the empty with money, things? Yeah, of course. I mean, what yeah. else are you going to do, Alcohol, right? Whatever. But yeah, partying. Like I was twenty. Well, at this point, maybe I was twenty-eight years old. But I was partying. I was like feeling so good about how I looked on the outside. So I put more and more. Um, effort and attention into being beautiful and dressing a certain way and, you know, everything being, like, fabulous. This is that perfectionism I was talking about. Perfect. Yeah? Yeah. Being perfect. No, but I wasn't perfect. I was so far Because you felt empty. It. You felt on the inside you didn't feel perfect, but you were busy putting perfection I together. guess on the out to make yeah. it look. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just thought I put so much attention on how I looked. What happened to the emptiness? How did it get filled? Uh, it really didn't until I had my son. And that's so crazy. I, you know, I got married and um, and got pregnant right thereafter and had my son. I remember that day that I took my son home from the hospital and I just thought, this has got to change. This is, I cannot let him have this life. And I just thought, what if he does and I don't want him to? And even though probably everybody that I knew thought I had the greatest life, you know. Can you describe to me what you mean by this life? Um, on the outside, it looked, you know, I was very beautiful and I looked um, really happy because I would go to amazing trips and, you know, I had all this money and it looked really, and I had this great condo on the beach in South Beach of Miami and everything looked, I believe, I don't know, this is what I think, I believe it looked amazing, but I felt so empty. So you didn't want him to be exposed to a mom that was impoverished? And by impoverished, I mean emotionally impoverished? Or what What was that? I didn't want him to live like how I had lived. I didn't want him to grow up thinking, chase the money, chase the money. That's what's going to make you happy. And then have him one day realize that was the wrong route. So you just knew something was wrong. And you had to I knew something was wrong. I didn't have the answer. Out. Like you, like you said, I didn't know it was to do this or that. No, I, I didn't have that knowledge. Mm-mm. It's a really interesting story. I, I mean, I, I – and again, I – what – just so we're clear here, the the confidence creator is the is the book. Yes, he, boss and heels. What should that's we go? my hashtag. Okay, do do is that a it's a website. My website's heathermonahan.com. In, in, in other words, if in addition to buying the book, where else do you want people to go? You can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, anywhere at Heather Monahan. So Boston Heels is just sort of the company that it, you're all under. It's my name of my yeah. company's Boston Heels LLC. I yes. see. And then the book is through the everything is all through the company. It's available on Amazon, Audible, HeatherMonahan.com. Monahan can have different spellings. M O N A H A N at underscore Heather Monahan's Twitter. Instagram's at Heather Monahan. Um, you had a psychology degree, and yet you didn't. Isn't that crazy? Clark University. And what? yet you didn't, you didn't. Freud let me down. What's going on? Clark's in Indianapolis, right? I've spoken. No, there. in Worcester, Mass. What's right outside of Boston. What's the one I'm thinking of in Indianapolis? Uh, somebody check for me. Is it, Gary, see if there's a Clark University outside Indianapolis. I swear there's something like. I think but, he's watching the game. Uh, he is watching the game. <laughs> don't you worry. But Worcester's a funny place. And for, for people that are from everywhere else in the country, it's spelled W-O-R-C-H. It looks like Worcester. It's W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. And, and, the, and the, the weirdest thing is that there's a, there's a city right up the hill, right up the road called Worcester, spelled W-O-O-S-T-E-R. Oh, my gosh. How funny. Uh, it's just pronounced completely. I, as a Westerner going out there, I'm like, and this one. What they, is this? One's Worcester and the other's Worcester. And the spellings are complete. But it's all sort of British. You find it? Not finding it. Hmm. What am so I thinking? Clark University? Yeah, in, in Indiana. I swear to God. I spoke at some place outside Indianapolis, and I swear it was Why cool. do you think you're forgetting this? 
Because I'm old. That's no, I'm why. I'm, like, so, I'm pretending it's like I'm a doctor thing. You have to turn around <laughs> on me. I'm, I'm happy I'm to trying. do it. I'm trying. I don't know how to do that on you. But you I got a psychology degree. It would be funny. <laughs> All right. So I, we're, we're, sent, we're just about out of time. Um, but what There's else? Do we... Clark University. It looks like it's in Iowa, though. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Wait a minute. Oh, well. I have to, I'll figure it out. Look up, just look up University Indianapolis <laughs> to see what you get. Well, I, the University of Indianapolis. Well, is in the what the hell's the name of that school outside Indianapolis? Oh, god darn it! Maybe, maybe I'm going to be screwing up my memories completely. Um, what do you before we wrap it up? I mean, what's what are sort of last thoughts? I mean, we've covered a lot of territory. Last thoughts are: I want people to know you're not alone. You know, no matter what it looks like out there for everybody else, they are challenged and suffering just like you, and it's all about really. Okay. So, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but, no, but, but you're using a language that I'm hearing people use more and more these days, which I am delighted, which is sort of the language of connection. So my, my question to you is, do you connect with people online? Do you feed back? I'm we're... obsessed with answering every DM I get. Uh-oh. You know, and this is, I'm, well, because I'm <laughs> a rookie. No, yeah, yeah P.S. Hello, I'm yeah. a rookie. So I'm but, but a rookie. That, I, message every, I message everybody. The connectivity, though, really is a pretty powerful message. I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like, Absolutely. I'm here, you're here, we're not alone, connect, right? Completely. Yeah. That's and, exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, we're all going through the same stuff together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of people don't want you to know that. It, it, again, thinking of last thoughts, any idea why we didn't know that? Because we should know that, right? Now that you're Now that you're in a position where you see it, it's like so obvious, right? It is, but I... How do we not know that? How do people? We weren't exposed to the same information that we are today. Don't you feel that way? That people are speaking a different language. They they almost feel more readily available to share. At least a lot of people do. Where versus when we were kids, no one was talking about things like that. Right. The, I think the sixties, seventies, eighties were just about getting on, you know, and it was much more externally focused and not so focused on what's going on inside. Sure. And, and our families weren't doing very well, and kids weren't being nurtured or empathically attuned to the way they should have been and, and there was no language about that people didn't time. know yeah I, I mean if anybody's interested there was a book in the 70s called uh, the culture of narcissism with christopher lash sort of predicted a lot of the stuff and looked at all this stuff there's a another book i i'm just digging through right now that sort of is the current congener of that called the americanization of narcissism where we sort of – she looks through many different prisms at how we got here and takes on Lash's challenges a little bit. But we, we've been through a weird – I would argue I think it's anomalous. I think we've been through a weird 40 years. I just think we have and I think we're kind of coming out of it. I think the Me Too thing is part of coming out of it because women are finally going, hey, this does not work for me anymore. I don't want to have to put up yeah, with Yeah, but this. not very much has changed in corporate America unfortunately. Well, that's, that's your next book because that would be interesting to me. Because uh, I'm, I'm hoping it does. Hasn't That's, yet. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, how do they get away with it in this day and age when there's so you much liability attached to it? A culture. Yeah, but there's in a lie- few months. You're right. There are not. We, there has been no legal actions that have been taken to be implemented to share. For one thing would be what great. Media. What does that mean, right? Because well, you know, I was CBS. I was with a bunch Leslie, of Leslie Moonves. I oh, mean, that's okay, that's great. Heavy. CBS really isn't even. I mean, CBS is a different entity now. But you know, what's interesting. I was with a bunch of twenty-two-year-olds yesterday. They told me the only media they consume is Twitter and Instagram. And when I asked the question, "Why is that media to you? Why is that news?" and they said, "Because it's the first time." Actual companies can't change the way we're hearing things. And I said, you don't feel that influencers or people are – they said, no, that's real. So everything's changed. 
well, of course we know that, yeah. but right, media influences, yes, but so do influence. Everyone's influencing, Correct. but they're not seeing that. Right. So it's so interesting now to see the dynamic and now the education and understanding. It's just yeah. changing. Influence is another interesting area we got to kind of all look at because people are being influenced and not realizing it. it yeah. That's it. They yeah, they yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been a privilege and a thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm glad it's all everyone's healed and tolerated, <laughs> gotten back together. Hey, We're working on it. It's the crucible of fire. You know what I mean? If it were easy, it would have happened already by itself. It's so you know true. I mean? If success that, was easy, everyone would have it. And But even as it pertains to success in our sort of emotional landscape, so is there's, there's defenses and things in our way that don't naturally get out of the way. You have to, you have to really make an effort and take the consequences. So good for you. Thank you. And I hope people learn. And I, we will look at Confidence Creator. You've got to get me the book. i got to read it. I've got one in my bag for you right now. Done and done. <laughs> and uh, we thank you all for being here, and I'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 